Tell us your name. Tian Miller. <laughs> and how long have you been coming to Westridge? About four years. Yeah. And how'd you hear about Westridge? We actually came to the coffee shop prior to. Oh. Someone had coffee one day, and we were trying out new churches in the area, trying to find one that felt like it fit for us. We loved it. So we liked, it was very relaxing, um, welcoming. We liked the music. It was fantastic. The lights, and we walked in, and people were just very open and greeting to us. So we loved it. And once we came here, we actually never looked at any other churches. We just came back. Yeah, I, I believed in God and believed everything I was raised as far as heaven, hell, you know, do good, sin type thing, but I don't feel like I ever had a strong relationship that if I was ever troubled that I leaned on God. You know, I leaned on family and other friends and support, but it wasn't that I turned to faith or religion at all if I was upset or if there were struggles in my life. I think that every single one of us are walking down this journey we call life. And we all come at it from different places, different backgrounds, different choices that we've made that has impacted where we're at and how we're approaching this journey. But the one thing that I think that we all have in common is that we all know what it feels like to hurt, to experience pain. And, you know, even this morning, as I look around this room, I see many of you who have just recently gone through some loss, some of you who are struggling with disease and divorce and the loss of a home and all kinds of things that, you know, loss of a loved one. And and whatever it is for you, I think that we all kind of carry around this personal pain that's like unique to us but when the storms of life hit and they always hit it's inevitable where do you turn where do you go how do we find the faith and the strength that we need to go on Well, today we are concluding a series that we've called Story. It's been an incredible series where we've looked at the true stories of people of Westridge, just like you, people who sit next to you in church, and those defining moments in their lives that changed everything. And this morning, it's the story of Deanne Miller. And Deanne will tell you in her own words how in just a moment, Her entire life was turned upside down and the struggle that she would have to face down for years to come. Today we're going to look at her life, but I hope you answer the question, how does her story intersect with yours? On my 21st birthday, I got a phone call that my parents were missing and my brother was missing. And they had been flying. My dad had his private pilot's license and he was flying a plane home from Colorado from spring break. And they left and they never made it back. Um, My sister, thankfully, was not with them at the time. 
so it's the two of us. But I was in college. I was a junior, and I got the phone call they were missing. And basically my whole life kind of collapsed at that point because I felt, I just felt like they had already died, that there wasn't really much hope. And unfortunately, we had no clue where the plane was at, and so it took about three weeks to find it. And so there's three weeks of candlelight ceremonies and vigils every night and a wonderful family, friends support, community support back in Iowa where I'm from. Um, and then at about three weeks into it, we, they found the plane and my parents, my mom, my father, and then my brother who was 14 at the time had all passed away. The day before was my 21st birthday, and I was surprised that I didn't get a phone call at all from my parents. And I knew that they were in Colorado and they were supposed to be coming home that day. And I had always spent every single birthday my entire life with my parents, and this was the first one that I hadn't. And so they didn't call me at all. The next day I actually came home from a study group, and it was about 8 o'clock at night. And I walked in my house, and my roommate came down the stairs on the phone, and it was my cousin. And I had just seen her the night before celebrating my birthday, so I thought she was calling just to say, hey, how are you? And when I answered the phone, she was very quiet and mellow. And I said, hey, how's it going? And she said, oh, my God, you don't know. I said, no, what? And she's like, your parents are missing. Because everybody had been trying to get a hold of me all day, but it was before the cell phone era. So I didn't have any knowledge that they knew the whole day that my parents were missing. Um, so it was about 8.30 at night, and then I called Nikki, who was one of my closest friends at the time, sobbing, and I kind of collapsed on the floor in our house, crying and crying, and she drove us, drove me the four and a half hours home, back to Iowa, to be with my sister and then my relatives. And the whole drive home, that Sarah McLaughlin song, um, The Angel, played on the radio probably five times, and it talks about... You know, basically tragedy and everything else. And so, in my mind, that song always reminds me of my parents. I think the whole time we always tried to have hope that maybe, you know, the plane had crashed somewhere safely, that they were just kind of lost in a forest somewhere trying to find their way back. Or maybe they were injured but not severely injured where they just needed to be rescued. The first couple of days we had a lot more hope. And then as time went on, you know, everybody told us, as every day goes on, the chance of them moving is less and less. Um, there happened to be a blizzard the day after they were missing in Colorado, and so they couldn't have any search parties out looking for them until the blizzard was over. And I think that made it a little more difficult because the plane was white and then there was a blizzard, and so there's all the snow on top of it. And so the few weeks into it, I think the sun probably melted some of it. But they had... Um, the National Guard was out looking for them in Colorado, and they used airplanes with the infrared sensors, like heat sensors, to see if they detected any body heat or body movement at all anywhere, because it was just this vast mountain area. And then a this little kind of cowboy um, farm or forest ranger was out looking around, and he actually saw the reflection of the plane, and he's the one who found them. Can't even imagine what she must have gone through in that moment when she found out the 
pain and the hurt, and not just in that moment, but that like that's years of coming out of something like that. Not a lot of us can relate to tragedies like that, but I think that we can all identify with those moments in our lives where it seems like we just can't cry hard enough to express the sorrow that is cutting at our souls. A grief so deep, a loss so great, a tragedy so devastating that even though you may try to run from it and hide from it and stuff it, when you finally slow down in the quiet moments of your day, even years later, you realize it's still there. And that pain is still very, very real. Suffering, I think, is the common thread that brings us together in the most raw form of our humanity. It leaves us exposed and vulnerable and in need of healing and in need of help. And the question is, where do we turn when we need that help? Where do I go from here? How do I go on? And I'm just going to be real upfront and tell you, there's nothing you're going to hear this morning that's like revolutionary and there's no like three easy answers to repairing and recovering from something like that. Because I think that everybody um, heals in their own different way, in their own unique way. But what I do think is that there's a passage that for me, in my own times of suffering, in my own times of, of trials and, and devastation, there's a passage of scripture that has meant a lot to me, and it's meant a lot to me because it's a passage of scripture that was actually read to me by my mom as she was dying from cancer. And she said that this was a a passage that she would cling to every single day when she woke up to fight another day. And it goes like this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of glory, but not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. It's interesting because Paul talks about our sufferings. And he's talking about the fact that the suffering and the pain in our lives come in all shapes and sizes. It has the idea that my pain and my hurt that I've experienced in my life is different than yours. And that we all face things, but they're all so different. And yet, many of them have the same common denominators. But it makes them unique to us. So that they are truly our sufferings. It's very personalized. It's the idea that my pain is customized just for me. Isn't that an odd concept? But what that means is that our pain and our brokenness 
makes us who we are. It makes us different, and therefore, it's there for us to embrace, not to ignore or to run from. And while my pain may be different from your pain, God offers a special grace and compassion to match every shade of sorrow. I think that everybody in this room could share some story that could rip your heart out about some pain or some hurt that you have experienced in your life, some deep sense of of loss. But what that means is that every single one of us has a story about how our pain and how our brokenness changed our lives and made us who we are today, and it's become part of our DNA. It's now become part of our story. So after that time frame, my family that was all very Catholic kind of turned to God and they were all praying and everybody said, oh, you know, God does things for these reasons. And I could not justify that at all because I couldn't find any reason why God would take away my parents and my brother at such a young age for, in my mind, no reason. Um, so I was very angry with God. Um, my sister that was, you know, still um, living, she was 18 at the time. She was a senior in high school. So I came home that semester, and we stayed with her, and then she went to college, and I went back to college. And I would intermittently go to church still when I was in college after that happened, and most of the time I would cry and have to end up leaving because I would just be so sad. Um, I tried to find you know, some comfort in God and faith, but I had none. So I was just very angry, um, very angry in God. felt like I, I couldn't blame anybody, and I, so I would blame God. I couldn't figure out why this would happen. I prayed a lot when they were missing. I think, you know, for hopefully for him to save them and for them to be okay. Um, but after they were found and they were had passed away, I was very angry. So I think any conversation I had was one of anger, you know, and questioning why. There's a lot of why did this happen have to happen and why did it have to happen to me and why did it have to happen to them. And um, They were good people. And so I didn't understand that part. I'd say my relationship prior to the accident was just kind of status quo. And then there was a lot of praying that went on during those three weeks. And then afterwards, I would say my relationship was pretty dismal. So I was, I didn't really go to church out of, I got, I didn't get any comfort going out to church. If I ever went, it was just more sadness. And so I stopped going. First, I felt like I needed to go and I needed to pray for their souls so they could go to heaven. And more kind of guilt again. Um, But I wasn't really getting any sense of peace at all from that. And that went on for probably 10 years, roughly. I always believed in God, so and I still do. You know, it was never that I thought God didn't exist. I just was very angry and blamed Him for what happened. So I feel like God... Can, can somewhat control the world or can control, you know, the good things, the bad things at that point. And so I felt like this was part of his doing or at the same time not helping them avoid that situation. But I still believed he existed. I was just very angry with him. I think that having moments and experiencing 
anger with God is something that a lot of us have struggled with at different points in our lives for a variety of different reasons. And quite frankly, I think people have wrestled with anger towards God since the beginning of time, and we've seen examples of that in the Bible. When something tragic happens in our lives, we ask the question, why? (laughs) Which is a natural response. But sometimes it's not so much that we're really angry with God as if somehow we believe that he intentionally did that thing to us on purpose to hurt us or that he really was the cause behind that. It's more like when there's nobody else in the world to blame, he's an easy target. After all, he's the one who's supposed to be in control of the universe, right? And sometimes what we are really asking is not so much why, but why me? Why now? And it's in those times that we wrestle with God, wondering where he is and when he's going to show up. And meanwhile, the pain is so unbearable, deep down we wonder if God even cares at all. If you are a thinking person, and you have ever seriously contemplated your faith, if we're honest with each other, The truth is that we have all gone through times where we have questioned God or been angry with God or had our doubts. And you have to know it's okay. It's a very much a part of our human experience of working through our faith in God, which, by the way, is no cakewalk. I can't relate to people who say, you know, faith is such an easy thing for me. Because for me, it's a lot of work. And one of the greatest misconceptions, I think, among Christians is that to doubt God or to get angry with God is to sin because people question your faith. And that's just not true. The the opposite of faith is unbelief. There is a big difference between unbelief and doubt. Unbelief is to willfully refuse to believe and to make a conscious decision to deny or to reject God, while doubt or anger is an emotion. And it's honest and it's authentic. It's no different, your relationship with God is no different than any other relationship that you have where there are times when you may get angry with your husband or your wife or your kids, but that doesn't mean you love them any less. Or that you're any less committed to them. It's just that you're honest about the way that you feel. So you can have a strong faith in God and love God and still have doubt or anger. You can still be a strong Christian without feeling like you have to have an answer for everything. Or that every single issue in your life has to be totally ironed out and completely settled. Unfortunately, life is just a lot more messy than that. Struggling with God over the issues of life doesn't show a lack of faith. It is faith. It is a faith that is in the process of being built with your own two hands, where you're not relying on your parents' faith anymore. 
You're not relying on just what somebody says. It's a faith that you are building through the dirt and the sweat and the pain and the hurt of your life that you're experiencing. And the problem is that somehow we've been taught to believe that if we question God, look out, lightning bolts are going to start flying. So instead of dealing with those tough issues of faith in a healthy way, we stuff them and we're afraid to talk about them. We're afraid to bring them to the surface because we're going to be afraid to be judged by people in our own church. Do you think that God would rather have an honest relationship with you where you felt the freedom to come to him and communicate your feelings and your questions and your concerns with honesty and candor? I do. I mean, that is the basis of an authentic relationship, and the Bible continues to tell us that God wants to have an authentic relationship with you. I would much rather have somebody take issue with me or question what I'm saying rather than just give me a polite smile and nod and accept everything that I'm saying. That's not a real, authentic relationship, is it? Working through those tough issues of faith in an honest way can actually make your faith stronger. It gives us a newfound confidence in dealing with doubt and tragedy so that in the future when they hit again, we know what that is. We know what it means to get on the other side of it because we've already worked through it. And I think that's exactly what Paul is saying in this passage. And he says, we can glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character and character hope. What he's saying there is, it's a process. It is a lifelong process to recover out of the suffering and tragedy that we experience in our lives. And as much as we'd like to rush through it, healing is a slow and gradual process that sometimes takes a full lifetime to recover from. And so perseverance, that becomes a necessary quality for anyone who wants to overcome pain in your life. Perseverance has the idea that no matter how difficult life gets, no matter how battered and bruised our faith becomes, we will hold on to that faith until the very end. So I'd go to church, and we discovered Westridge, and I was coming here for many months, and I liked it. You know, I felt like this was a good place for us and a good fit. But I still was kind of struggling on how to accept God back into my life in a positive way and not be angry with him. So I decided to contact our wonderful pastor, Darren, (laughs) and have coffee. (laughs) Um, And then the day that we had coffee together, you know, I asked, you know, I told you what had happened and my struggles and, you know, we had a very nice conversation on kind of how to go forward and that helped me come to a sense that it's okay to be upset with God and it's okay Um, you know, to be angry at times, but that you can still, you have to move forward at some point. And in my mind, I was holding all this anger in and it wasn't doing me any good. You know, I just had this sense of negativity and I wanted to move beyond that. And, you know, I needed to have a conversation with somebody who was not my family or not my spouse to kind of just be very open about it and non-judgmental. And so the conversation we had was helpful. Uh, I then wrote... A letter to God after that. 
that basically, you know, I voiced my, this was, gosh, 10 years into it. I wrote this letter that said, you know, I was so angry with everything that happened and why did you have to do this? And I miss my family, you know, so dearly and I wish they were around. And I never mailed the letter. I kind of carried it around in my wallet for a few years. And then finally, just writing the letter made me feel better. Like it put that, everything I was carrying inside for so many years, it put it out on the paper. And I felt like I kind of was able to wash those feelings away. And then the, the anger and everything became less and it started to drift and coming here helped a lot. So the more I would be at church and the more positive feelings I would get with church and with God and my relationship with God, I felt like it started to grow to the point that I actually volunteered to be in the Kids Crossing, which was a huge, huge step for me. Um, my first day there, it was comical because we're sitting around, I was in the two-year-old room and we were supposed to play this phone game and say how Jesus loves me and Jesus will always be with me. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> this has to come out of my mouth now. And I had to be genuine about it. So, you know, I did that and passed it around. And it was a big step for me to actually say those words. Um, and I now have two children. And my daughter's almost four. And we talk about God almost every night. She, we pray together every night, which I never did growing up. We never prayed at night, just at school and church. Um, and she has a relationship, I would say, somewhat with God and Jesus. She has a little cell phone she calls Jesus on. <laughs> she talks about Easter and Jesus died for us. And um, it, it makes me feel good to have that. You know, with my daughter, it's helped me heal as well with my relationship with Jesus because I don't want her to have any of the negative feelings that I had with God and with Jesus. And so that has helped me grow as well. Cell phones with Jesus on speed dial are now on sale in the cafe. In uh, verse 5 of that Romans passage, Paul says that the result of everything that we go through ultimately will lead us not to despair, but to hope. And then he says, and that hope will not disappoint us. When you literally translate that from the Greek, it says that we have a hope that will not put us to shame. And so what Paul is saying there is, go ahead. When times are tough and it feels like you just can't go on, go ahead on and put your hope in Jesus. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Because we have a God who won't let you down. Who loves you beyond belief who is there for you even in the worst of times. Jesus never promised us that if we followed him that our lives would be like a rose garden. God never said that he would take away our pain. He just gives us a simple promise that in those darkest moments, he'll be there for us. God wants us to feel his presence and his peace in our times of suffering. As I said before, this passage that I read earlier from Romans means a lot to me because it was a passage that my mom held on to so dearly before she died of cancer. And I actually did a video interview of her just before she died, uh, much like this one. And I asked her, I said, how has your, and she's a pastor's wife and a person of faith all of her life. I mean, just, you know, brilliant, wonderful woman should be sated for having a putting up with a son like me but I asked her one time I said how how has this 
cancer impacted your faith. And she referred me back to this verse. And she said, you know, I have a really hard time with this concept of rejoicing in the suffering. She said, I can't quite get there. This cancer thing is no fun, and I can't relate to that. She said, but the perseverance part, I can do that. She said, I can do what I have to do. I can endure what I have to go through for one simple reason. She said, because I have hope. She said, I have hope that one day we can all be together again as a family. And when we are together in that place, that we will be pain free. And then she said, look, my faith has carried me through an entire life of six kids, tragedy, poverty, tough times. And she said, my faith will carry me through this too. And it did right up until the point where she left this world. I still have a hard time accepting this biblical idea that we are to rejoice in the face of trials and sufferings. And I get the idea of it. The idea that happiness is not found in the avoidance of pain, but that somehow true sustainable joy is found as a result of having gone through the pain and coming out on the other side with our faith left intact. It somehow makes us deeper and stronger in the broken places. Ironically, it's when the storms of life hit. It's in those hard times that we finally recognize how weak we really are. It's in a time of pain that we finally get the fact that we're not as strong as we think we are. And as we're lying there on our backs, beat up and broken and bruised, we suddenly realize, I need God. And we cry out to him in that moment. And in that moment, our faith becomes real and strong. The Bible promises us that from the ashes of our lives blowing up, from the pain of our brokenness, God will create beauty. He uses those hard times and our suffering to quietly mold us into the people that he wants us to become. And one day, as we look back on those dark times in our lives, we will see that from the ashes of our deepest pain has emerged a small bud of growth that one day blossoms into a hope that will not disappoint. Embracing and owning your pain and wrestling with God in an honest way doesn't make you weak. It just makes you human. It's definitely better. Um, I still think it's kind of a work in progress but I've made 
huge strides from where I was even just a few years ago. And I feel like every time, every day, I get a little bit closer to God, and coming to Westridge definitely has helped that. Um, and when I say my prayers at night, and when I actually have conversations with God, it, I feel like I make step forwards. I don't carry any of those anger feelings anymore, and I don't have any more feelings of why did this happen to me. I've kind of gotten to the point where I accept it, and I've moved forward. I don't think there's a reason why it happened. And I struggle going to funerals when everyone says, you know, I'm so sorry, how are you doing? God did this, you know, you know, for a reason. I never say those when I go to funerals anymore. I just say that I'm sorry for the person who's passed away. Um, but I definitely have moved forward in my relationship with God, and I feel like it's... I'll continue to grow every day. I don't think there's ever going to be that perfect spot where I feel like I've exactly where I need to be. Um, I think the big thing is that everybody deals with tragedy in different ways. And a lot of people turn to God if they have a strong relationship with God prior to, and that's great. And if people don't have that strong relationship with God and it takes them a while to get there, that's fine too. If you struggle and you want to have be angry, I think that's fine. I think you need to get all those feelings out, whatever route that may be. But it's a work in progress, and I think even if you had didn't have a relationship with God or was very negative at some point, you can still get back to a point where He's helpful and He's a part of your life, and you can be at peace. <laughs>